Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have some fun on today's show. In our second segment, we're going to talk to Joe Garden, editor of The Onion, about uh, Embedded in America, Complete News Archives, Volume 16, the latest effort by those uh, bunch of cut-ups operating out of, well, I guess not no longer Madison, Wisconsin. They now, you, they've now moved to New York City. We had fun talking to Joe last year, and I'm sure we're going to have even more fun this year. I know that the, uh, the, <laughs> the promo piece sent to us by, uh, by Chuck Monroe uh, said, About the Onion. Founded in the 1620s by a distant ancestor of the current publisher, J. Phineas Swibell, The Onion began as the official ledger of agricultural barters for farmers in the Chesapeake Bay Colony. It later expanded its focus to chronicle public events of note, ushering in the modern newspaper. And just on the off chance you're not familiar with the, the output of The Onion, we would cite one of the more recent issues with uh, its following headline, Evangelical Scientists Refute Gravity with New Intelligent Falling Theory. Dateline, Kansas City. As the debate over the teaching of evolution in public schools continues, a new controversy over the science curriculum arose Monday in this embattled Midwestern state. Scientists from the Evangelical Center for Faith-Based Reasoning are now asserting that the long-held, quote, theory of gravity, unquote, is flawed. And they've responded to it with a new theory of intelligent falling. Things do not fall down because they are acted upon by some gravitational force, but because a higher intelligence, God, if you will, is pushing them down, said Gabriel Burdett, who holds degrees in education, applied scripture, and physics from Oral Roberts University. That's the kind of stuff you get from The Onion. And we'll be talking to Joe Garden in segment two, so please do yourself a favor and stay tuned for that. On this date in history, in the year 1202, at the start of what was the Fourth Crusade, French crusaders laid siege to the former Venetian city of Zara, Croatia. By conquering Zara, which was a Christian city, the Crusaders paid for transport on Venetian ships. On this date in 1885, German automaker Gottlieb Daimler unveils a new transportation concept, the motorcycle. It was meant only as a testing device for his single-cylinder engine. The motorcycle, of course, has gone on to bigger and better things since then. On this date, November 10, 1950, during the Chinese invasion of Tibet, the isolated Himalayan nation appealed to the United Nations for help, but to no avail. Tibet has now been swallowed up and is considered a province of the People's Republic of China. Our quote of the day is from an anonymous source that says, When you see something you can't understand, 
look for the financial interest. Our stat for today's show is that medical research spending has doubled over the last decade to $95 billion per year, according to a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association. However, pharmaceutical companies are focusing largely on existing products more than new treatments and cures. Regrettably, an awful lot of, uh, of time and energy is spent to, uh, to show that one company's drug works better than a competitor's or to develop a, quote, me-too drug. This is a trend we hope will be reversed in the future. An addendum statistic for the day is that a study on public restrooms shows that one out of four men leave without washing their hands. This was conducted by the American Society for Microbiology. This, of course, reminds me of uh, when I first went off to medical school. Having attended the human sexuality class here at UC Davis uh, by the legendary Milton Hildebrand, uh, I, I noted, as did the good professor, that men, when using the facilities, are entering and placing their hand on an area that is protected within clothing, not exposed to the environment, containing no sweat glands, and that by all rights, a man should wash his hands before going to the urinal, not afterwards. But as it was, I went off to medical school, and, and, I, and I used the facilities at one point and, and turned to leave. At which point, uh, one of my classmates looked at me and said, uh, so, um, not going to wash your hands? I said, um, I don't think so. He said, well, you know, I went to Harvard, and at Harvard, they teach us to wash our hands after we urinated. I said, yeah. At UC Davis, they taught us not to pee on our hands. We would like to note that on last week's program, we're reviewing some uh, old uh, newspaper articles that uh, were worth reviewing. Here's one I missed, um, dated September 29th, 2004. 60 Minutes Iraq Report held by CBS. Keeping in mind, this is like five weeks before the 2004 election. Dateline, New York. CBS News has shelved a 60 Minutes report on the rationale for war in Iraq because it would be, quote, inappropriate, unquote, to air it so close to the presidential election, the network said. The report on weapons of mass destruction was set to air September 8th, but was put off in favor of a story on President Bush's National Guard service. CBS News spokeswoman Kelly Edwards would not elaborate on why the timing of the Iraq report was considered inappropriate. The report was originally scheduled for June, but was delayed because of New developments, Edwards said. Yeah, folks, that's your liberal media in action there, suppressing stories that might embarrass the president because it's inappropriate to do so, so close to an election. After all, a story like that might influence an election. We can't have that. I'm sure you can look up the socialist worker online and the like, but uh, as far as the mainstream media being uh, having a liberal bias... Well, I, I just think that's like the Loch Ness Monster. I've heard about it, but I just haven't seen it. Something that didn't get nearly the publicity that it should have. Uh, a few weeks back, George Bush held a televised video conference with troops in Iraq. And uh, it, it was scarcely mentioned in the press that the troops had scripted responses to their interaction with uh, our chief executive. 
According to an article in the LA Times, it was noted that uh, the soldiers were carefully coached. Before the session began, a Pentagon communications officer, Allison Barber, was heard asking one of them, who are we going to give that question to? Barber later told reporters that soldiers were told only about broad themes Bush wanted to discuss, not specific questions. The troops can ask the president whatever they want, said Scott McClellan. They've always been free to do that. But in the actual <laughs> interaction, Bush did not invite the soldiers to ask any questions, and none chose to do so. Article by Jim Vandehei in the Washington Post noted that in carefully coordinated event, Bush tries to boost war support. During the course of the video conference, each soldier praised the president, the war, and the progress in training Iraqi troops. Several spoke in a monotone voice as if determined to remember and stay on script. An Iraqi Sergeant Major Akhil Shakir Nasir, who's in charge of the Iraqi Army Training Facility in Tikrit, had only a few words for Bush, but they were gushing. Thank you very much for everything. I like you. The article noted that the coaching troops on what they'd be asked by Bush was not a, n a new technique for Bush. Uh, his White House has perfected the public relations strategy of holding scripted events featuring the president's supporters. Of course, in a not unrelated story that you may, have, may or may not have noticed, uh, federal auditors uh, last month said that the Bush administration had violated the law by purchasing favorable news coverage of President Bush's educational policies by making payments to the conservative commentator Armstrong Williams and by hiring a public relations company to analyze the media perceptions of the Republican Party. Investigators from the Government Accountability Office said the administration had disseminated covert propaganda inside the United States in violation of a long-standing explicit statutory ban. And I, and I, and I must say, i got to take another minute here to quote from an, an Economist uh, article they had uh, last month about the vitriolic political literature that seems to dot uh, the landscape of American bookstores. They were noticing, of course, some of the attacks, uh, the, the, the vehement attacks on the left, uh, as follows. If one takes the plunge and actually reads some of the more recent polemics, the urge to despair becomes all but irresistible. Take, for example, Surrounded by Idiots, Fighting Liberal Lunacy in America by Mike Gallagher. Mr. Gallagher is a talk radio host who, as you might have guessed, leans to the right. His political observations are not exactly profound. Michael Moore, he says, is a nasty, ugly man. John Kerry routinely cue barges at his local coffee shop. Moving from the particular to the general, Mr. Gallagher explains that the left is trying to, quote, destroy every value and standard, principle, and ideal, concept of God, family, honor, duty, country, and decency that we hold dear, end quote. One finishes this book persuaded by Mr. Gallagher's thesis that he is surrounded by idiots. That would certainly explain why he was unable to do any research for the book. But the book is not wholly without merit. It shines a useful light on the techniques of modern talk radio. I just love the way the Brits use the language. We also want to remind you that our website, radioparallax.com, is up and pretty well updated at this point. So we hope you'll take a look and you can send us an email at info at radioparallax.com. 
Now, I meant to discuss the visit by Mikhail Gorbachev to Sacramento on last week's program, but uh, time constraints being what they are, we didn't get around to it. It's worth taking a couple minutes, I think, on today's show to do so. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev is truly a fascinating man. Michael Hart lists him among the 100 most influential persons in history for being the man who allowed the Soviet Union to change in a manner that no one would have predicted. Uh, the 15-country um, uh, union dissolved into its separate nations. If someone would have suggested in the mid-1980s that the U.S. would have bases in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and Turkmenistan, I think they probably would have been, uh, you know, put in an insane asylum. But although Gorbachev is a truly fascinating man, and he would have had a lot, I think, interesting to say, unfortunately, his visit was moderated by... Michael Reagan, the former president's dunce radio personality son. Three quarters of Michael Reagan's questions uh, <laughs> would say, when you and my dad, <laughs> it was like my dad had to enter into every question because pretty much that's Michael Reagan's claim to fame. He's the adopted son of Ronald Reagan. I was just squirming in my seat when he would ask Gorbachev questions like, do you think God had a hand in what you and my father and the Pope were able to do in the 1980s. Gorbachev tried to play it off with a, with a concept of what God is, and he actually had a fairly decent answer to it, but it was just, it was so embarrassing to see this lame brain sharing the stage with Mikhail Gorbachev. And I must say, I hope they are deeply embarrassed over at KFBK uh, for what was foisted on the public by having Michael Reagan up there with his ham-fisted management of this so-called interview. And speaking of UC Davis and reporting, good reporting, we would like to uh, to commend the California Aggie for its article in October about uh, the fact that wasn't getting a lot of press elsewhere, I think, um, that there's a huge fly population all over Northern California. I mean, a real unusual number of flies everywhere. Article by Justin Malvin, Aggie staff writer, went into the hows and whys of what that was, noted that... Uh, that only five species of flies, house, little house, face, stable, and garbage flies will invade buildings and act like a nuisance. And I, I must say, I was unaware of the fact that there is a specific species of face flies, which have the nasty and annoying habit of landing on your face and going up and, you know, getting near your eyes and your nose and your mouth. These uh, face flies, uh, by feeding around the eyes, makes them capable of transmitting pink eye. I've been asked that question over the years. How'd this baby get pink eye when we haven't taken him out? And uh, I guess the answer is now obvious. Flies. You don't think about it, but a combination of a wet spring and a warm summer made a lot of vegetation out there, and it really uh, boosted the fly population. And I, and I want to thank uh, the Aggie for reporting on it. Another medically related uh, story which I find very disturbing uh, is that sales of the over-the-counter cold remedies which can be used to make methamphetamine would be restricted under a measure approved by the Senate uh, last month. What's disturbing about this is they're talking about Sudafed, which is the only decongestant that is available to us. Phenylpropanolamine was uh, was taken off the market uh, last year because some people taking massive quantities of it to lose weight had uh, problems with it. Well, if you take anything inappropriately in massive quantities, you're asking for trouble. 
And uh, I would very much like to see Sudafed remain on the market. It has been shown to be safe when used uh, as, uh, as directed. And uh, yes, if you have a 55-gallon drum of Sudafed, you can make crank with it. But uh, I don't think the average cold sufferer is involved in such activities. So it should, be, it should remain legal in our humble opinion. All right, final item of the uh, of the segment here. We would note the interesting discovery by the Hubble Space Telescope of two small moons uh, which are orbiting Pluto. Pluto was uh, previously held the distinction of having the largest moon relative to um, the parent body in the solar system um, with uh, its moon Charon, which is fully 50% the size of Pluto. These teeny little moons of, of about 180-mile diameters are, uh, are much smaller and, of course, will probably revive the debate of whether Pluto is a planet or whether it's the largest Kuiper Belt object. Um, in a future program, we're going to try and get Brian Marsden, the man who's been refereeing all of this, uh, um, from to talk to us from, from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and uh, that should be a fun a fun talk. Um, stay tuned for that. But um, let's uh, let's take a break. You're listening to KDVS ninety point three FM. I'm your host Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and please stay tuned for our talk with Onion editor Joe Garden to follow. <laughs> 